Welcome back to Yang Daily. I'll be your host, Alex Cheney, bringing you all the Yang news you need to live your life right. Well, I think it's safe to say there have been some developments since our last meeting. Let's get right into it, shall we? Quick shout out to our Tier 3 patrons, Shay Meehan and Nathan Stankowski, as well as all our other patrons. You keep us all informed and engaged. If any of you out there want to join these advocates of humanity first and independent journalism, head on over to patreon.com slash yangdaily. It would only take a couple of bucks a month from each listener to keep this podcast and community going and growing into the future. Now on to the news. Despite it being mostly beyond the purview of this podcast's policy focus, I suppose we should briefly discuss the elephant in the room, Putin. As I'm sure you've all heard, Russia executed their invasion of Ukraine. If you need a crash course on why, basically, Putin is nuts. More specifically, Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union, and he still considers it to be so. They briefly had independence in the early 1900s, then they were absorbed again, then they were free again, and have been for many decades now, but Putin still considers it rightfully his territory. A few years ago, Russia invaded Ukraine's southern peninsula of Crimea after Ukraine tried to join NATO, the world's largest mutual defense pact. There are conflicting factions within the country. Putin has been supporting the rebel factions, hoping to destabilize the government. Now he's invading the rest of the country on the pretense of liberating Russian-speaking citizens. Pretty much every country disapproves, but does not want to start World War III by interfering directly. Biden has explicitly said that U.S. forces will not fight Russia unless a NATO ally is attacked. The U.S. and other NATO countries have issued economic sanctions, targeting major banks, sovereign funds, tech imports, and some of Russia's ruling elite oligarchy, though notably excluding direct sanctions on Putin himself. They have also bolstered military presence around Russia and Ukraine, and Biden has instructed the Secretary of State to release up to $350 million in support of Ukraine's defense. AP reports that the U.S. offered to evacuate Ukrainian President Zelensky, but his response was, quote, the fight is here, I need ammunition, not a ride, end quote. Can't say how that'll turn out for him, but it's a great line to be sure. All signs so far point to him and the Ukraine military digging in and resisting Putin's aggression. Putin has since threatened to invade Finland and Sweden as well, following those countries expressing a renewed interest in joining NATO. It's the classic situation of threatening to invade someone to keep them from joining a defense pact because they're afraid of being invaded. Basically, Russia is like your cat who wants to have all the doors in the house open and will yell at you if they're closed, not because they want to use them right now, but just to keep the option available for later. Except instead of the option to take a walk, it's the option to wage war without consequence. Although, according to Wikipedia, the last time Russia invaded Finland, yes, they've done it before, while they obviously won the war, they lost about five times as many troops and planes and an incredible 60 times as many tanks as the Finns, despite going in with many times more troops and equipment, so maybe some consequences. In a similar vein, Ukraine's military is not rolling over the way Putin hoped. Yang wrote a brief essay on the invasion, which basically just denounced Putin's actions and emphasized the importance of Putin paying a high price, 
but endorsed no course of action. He did issue a tweet expressing the opinion that despite all of the U.S.'s failings, he believes us to be an overall stabilizing influence on the world. That, of course, garnered nothing but outrage. Yang also shared an Atlantic opinion article which criticized the U.S. for not doing more to deter the invasion ahead of time, such as Biden publicly announcing that troops would not be sent in. I don't follow foreign policy or geopolitics closely, so I don't have an informed opinion on the matter other than to recognize the complexity of the issue. With a country like Russia, which has a massive military and, more importantly, a massive nuclear arsenal led by Putin, who appears to care more for his ego than anything else, an escalation of the conflict can have dire consequences. The U.S. or NATO physically supporting Ukraine could lead to other nations supporting Russia and a new world war. Failure to interfere sufficiently could also lead Russia to proceed to invade other neighboring countries, which could also lead to world war. And in the age of nukes, controlled by sociopaths, any such conflict has the potential for nuclear winter and an end to worldwide civilization as we know it. Suffice it to say, there are no easy answers. There are only dire stakes. In other news, Biden has announced that his pick to replace retiring Supreme Court Justice Breyer will be Katanji Brown Jackson. Jackson spent seven years as an assistant public defender, defending those who could not afford a private lawyer then eight years as a federal trial judge in Washington, and a relatively short eight months on the appeals court. She has no record of rulings, writings, or speeches on the big issues of abortion, gun rights, or freedom of religion. She was on the three-judge appeals court panel that denied Trump's attempt to block the January 6th committee from accessing National Archive documents. And she once defended a terrorism detainee in Guantanamo who was being held without charges or trial. She also helped reduce the standard sentencing recommendations for nonviolent drug offenders. Jackson would be the first black woman in the court's history, the second youngest of the current justices, and the first since Thurgood Marshall with significant experience as a defense lawyer. No date has yet been set for a confirmation hearing. Speaking of SCOTUS, there's an important upcoming Supreme Court case you likely have not heard about. On Monday, West Virginia versus the EPA will be heard. It amounts to a years-long challenge from coal companies and the GOP to limit the EPA's ability to regulate pollution and could be one of the most significant environmental law cases of all time. Essentially, for years, Democrats have argued the Clean Air Act gives the federal government authority to mandate emissions regulations quite liberally, while the GOP argue it is limited to power plants. This case offers the court a chance to rule on that authority. SCOTUS blocked the Obama administration's plan to drastically reduce power plants' emissions in 2016, and of of course, that was before the current supermajority of Republicans on the bench. The current court has repeatedly pushed back on the authority of federal agencies in other cases, such as when they shot down the federal vaccine mandates. The weight of this court decision, like abortion and so many other issues, is a result of Congress being broken. Due to the filibuster and tribal politics, which is in turn born of flawed election processes, Congress has long failed to enact legislation to clarify the authority of executive agencies, like the EPA, or enact significant laws addressing issues such as climate change. Because Congress can get nothing done, that leaves these agencies as the only avenue for action, which destabilizes the balance of powers, though certainly less so than Congress being a dead branch of government. The Clean Air Act was written decades before the immense dangers of climate change were understood, 
yet it has become just about the only federal means of combating the crisis in the face of our broken democracy's gridlock. Depending on the court's decision, that last avenue for progress, rightly or wrongly, may be significantly narrowed. We will see next week. Finally, and unsurprisingly, a study from Columbia University has found that the child poverty rate has massively surged since the improvements to the child tax credit ended in December. Child poverty has jumped from 12% up to 17%. That's an additional 3.7 million children deprived of basic needs in the supposedly richest country on earth. Needless to say, this is disgraceful, a national travesty. While attention is rightfully being granted to the threat from Russia, we cannot allow our attention on poverty to lapse. It is an injustice that has killed far more than war ever will, and we are closer than ever in history to putting an end to it. Keep pushing your representatives, your friends, your family, to support the removal of conditions from financial aid. Let's make basic needs a right, not a privilege, for all children and adults. And that'll do it for today's Yang Daily. Bookmark and share the EPA case and the child poverty spike. Flood Congress with calls, tweets, faxes, and letters using the easy volunteer contacts below. If you need help, consult the Income Movement Aid Database, the Mission Asset Fund, or United Way. And don't forget to Yang Daily.